evolved to resist the brushing of the wings. Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And I'm Chris. And we are the, the Film, Film Flamers. Flamers. Oh, that was almost perfect. Wow, we didn't oh my even God. plan that. It's like we're in sync. We didn't plan that at all, just like this movie didn't plan. <laughs> oh God. To ever be seen. <laughs> we're already trashing it. Of course we're here today to talk about uh, The Exorcist 2. The Heretic. Mm. Which is a 1977 American horror film directed by John Borman and written by William What? Goodhart. What was his name? <laughs> Borman. Yeah. <laughs> it's the sequel to the 1973 film The Exorcist and is the second film in the franchise, Obvi. The movie is set four years after the events of the original and follows a now 16-year-old Reagan who is still recovering from her demonic possession. Neither William Friedkin nor William Peter Blatty had any desire to involve themselves with the sequel, and while Ellen Bernstein refused outright to appear in the film, Linda Blair decided to reprise her role. After the filmmakers agreed to some of her demands, such as not wearing any of the demonic makeup, which was so traumatic to her the first time around, mm-hmm. Max von Sydow also reprised his role as Father Marin in a series of flashbacks, and Richard Burton and Louise Fletcher also <laughs> star. I'm sure they regret it now. <laughs> Well, Richard Burton doesn't regret it anymore. He, re- he regrets it from beyond the grave. Oh. oh, Lord. He regrets a lot of things. I'm sure. Cleopatra. Excuse me. <laughs> Poor Liz Taylor. <laughs> According to the film's co-producer, Richard Letterer, Exorcist II was conceived as a relatively low-budget affair. He said, quote, What we essentially wanted to do with the sequel was to redo the first movie. Have the central figure, an investigative priest, interview everyone involved with the exorcism and then fade out to unused footage, unused angles from the first film. A low-budget rehash, about $3 million, of The Exorcist. A rather cynical approach to movie making, I'll admit, but that was the start. <laughs> and the finish. <laughs> Just kidding. Pazuzu, king of the evil spirits of the air, help me to find Kokomo. <laughs> this is The Exorcist 2. Four years ago, the exorcist shocked the world. Now, the struggle between good and evil goes on. Exorcist 2, The Heretic. Linda Blair, Richard Burton, Louise Fletcher, Max Vincito, James Earl Jones, Exorcist 2, The Heretic. Do you want to do a synopsis for this episode? No. I don't think we need to. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. There. <laughs> Done. The end. You've got it. I mean, from the trailer and that synopsis, pretty much wraps it yeah. up. So The Exorcist 2 was released on June 17th, 1977. And at the time, it was Warner Brothers' biggest day and date launch playing in 725 theaters in the U.S. and Canada. The movie was also a record opening for Warner Brothers, bringing in $6.7 million opening weekend. Poor word of mouth hampered the film's performance, and ultimately it would bring in a little more than $30 million against the budget of 14. A small profit, but nowhere near the success of the original. I think it's funny, just before this recording, we looked up because Star Wars had just come out a month before this. It was made for $11 million, not 14, and it looks like it, the way it does. You know, stands some meddling in the late 90s. And 
yeah so this this movie almost has no excuse no it has none well it and, didn't have george lucas but you know. i mean like star wars was nominated for best picture that year so yeah. i mean <laughs> and made a hell of a lot more money well borman was no slouch right he was just up for best picture like a year or two before that right Oh, for what? Deliverance in 1972. I didn't realize that he directed that movie. Yeah. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, mm-hmm. and also nominated for the Golden Globe Award for Best Director. I mean, I like Deliverance. Maybe I should look into this director's work a little bit more. And then right after this, he made Excalibur. So oh. <laughs> I have to take a lot of drugs to like that movie. No, it's good. I like it. The Exorcist 2 has a 10% on Rotten Tomatoes. With an audience score of 12%. (laughs) The site's consensus reads, hokey mystical effects, lousy plotting, and worse acting directly tarnishes the first chilling legacy. The film received a strongly negative response. Reports indicated that the film inspired derisive laughter from the audience at its premiere in New York City. William Peter Blatty claimed to have been the first person to laugh in the theater in which he saw the film, only to be followed by the other patrons. Variety wrote, Exorcist 2 is not as good as The Exorcist. It isn't even close. And BBC film critic Mark Kermode stated, Exorcist 2 is demonstrably the worst film ever made. (laughs) It took the greatest film ever made and trashed it in a way that was on one level farcically stupid and on another level absolutely unforgivable. Everyone involved in this, apart from Linda Blair, should be ashamed for all eternity. (laughs) I mean... Oh, my God. Bad reviews are so funny. I enjoy the shit out of them. Speaking of which, Gene Siskel gave the film zero stars out of four and declared it the worst major motion picture I have seen in almost eight years on the job. (laughs) And this is my favorite one. Uh, Friedkin saw half an hour of the film. Of course, him being the director of the first film. I was at Technicolor and a guy said, we just finished a print of Exorcist 2. Do you want to have a look at it? And I looked at the first half hour of it and I thought it was as bad as seeing a traffic accident in the street. It was horrible. It's just a stupid mess by, made by a dumb guy, John Borman by name, somebody who should be nameless, but in this case should be named Scurrilous, a horrible picture. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Friedkin later said that the uh, sequel diminished the value of the original, called it the worst piece of crap he's ever seen and a freaking disgrace. He later added... That film was made by a demented mind. (laughs) But not his. Right. I mean, there were no guns shooting, so he didn't like that movie. Uh, Let freaking review you. (laughs) Let freaking review you. (laughs) Let me. Still works. In a 2005 interview, Borman remarked, quote, it all comes down to audience expectations. The film that I made, I saw as kind of a repose to the ugliness and darkness of The Exorcist. I wanted a film about journeys that was positive, about good, essentially. And I think that audiences in hindsight were right. I denied them what they wanted and they were pissed off about it. Quite rightly, I knew I wasn't giving them what they wanted, and it was really a foolish choice. The film itself, I think, is an interesting one. There's some good work in it. But when they came to me with it, I told John Cayley, who was running Warner Brothers then, that I didn't want it. Look, I said, I have daughters. I don't want to make a film about torturing a child, which is how I saw the original film. But then I read a three-page treatment for a sequel written by a man named William Goodhart, and I was really intrigued by it because it was about goodness. I saw it then as a chance to film a repost the first picture, but it had one of the most disastrous openings ever. There were riots. And we recut the actual prints in the theaters, about six a day, but it didn't help, of course, and I couldn't bear to talk about it or look at it for years. Wow. 
Even he doesn't really care for his movie. You know, and I, I don't think this without merit. I certainly don't think it's the worst movie ever made. Please. No. You know, no. I, I think this had a huge expectations, especially in the 70s, right? It was funny because I, I felt like this was made a little bit later than I was surprised to see it actually was done in 1977. And a lot of things kind of made sense a little bit more. A lot of it's more of the of the time, of the zeitgeist. It's certainly not a timeless movie. It's very much a 70s movie. Yeah, I mean, I totally get that. It's right around that that cusp of change between like 70s and 80s. You know what I mean? It just it has that look to it. Versus you know? the first one's timeless, really. Exactly. I mean, outside of technology or whatever, that's just the setting versus, you know, there's a very much like a spirit of the time in, in Exorcist 2 with, you know, the music choices, the, like, the clothing, the style. I mean, the production design alone is just hugely 70s. Yeah, very, very much. In, in the music from the trailer. You know what I mean? Oh, my God. Exorcist yeah, to go Yeah, yes. <laughs> Oh, uh, there are no accolades, clearly. No, and no legacy. Nope, none. Oh, so how do you want to talk about this movie? It's hated more than Pazuzu. <laughs> Pazuzu won't even watch this movie. <laughs> It has kind of a stacked cast, right? It really does, you know? I mean, obviously, John Borman is a, is a force in and of himself, right? Mm. But we've got Linda Blair returning. We've got Richard fucking Burton. Yeah. As Father Philip again. They try to get Jack Nicholson, by the way. Jesus. And uh, Louise Fletcher, who had just come off of her Oscar win for The One Who Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It's true. And that would have been an interesting kind of matchup with her, you know, teaming up with uh, Jack Nicholson for this if they had gotten him. Oh, my God. I can imagine now. Yeah. Although I really I really don't see Jack Nicholson in that role. No, I don't see him in many. I mean, like, but then we got also Mark Max von Sydow coming back as mm-hmm. Father Marin. And we get to see him in kind of flashbacks and where he's a, a bit younger and things like that. Because by now he's like, what, 48? Yeah, just in real life. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, Kitty Wynn as Sharon Spencer, I, I didn't really re- even recognize her from the first movie. She doesn't look anything like her original character. And I read somewhere that the only reason that she was in this movie is because they could not get Louise Fletcher and they wanted another person from the original. And they're like, oh, let's just bring that Well, Louise Fletcher's back. in this. Do you mean oh, yeah. Ellen Bernstein? Because they could not get Ellen Bernstein to play the role, right? Or come back for the movie. No, she flatly refused. Right. had such a terrible time. And they were like, well, Reagan's only 16. We need someone with her. And so they brought this character back because Kitty Wynn was willing to do it. I wonder why they still refused, you know, when it was mostly Friedkin that had done the thing. Maybe they didn't understand quite the movie they were making, although it was right there in the script, in the book, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And these are the people that were like, I was made for this role. And they're like, no. <laughs> so I don't know. I wonder. I would maybe like they to did go- read the script and they, they knew it was a pile of garbage. I mean, that's possibly true. Or maybe they just thought the first one was so good they didn't need a sequel to it. I mean, how often do we talk on the podcast about unneeded sequels or reboots, right? Well, also, back then, sequels weren't really a thing, too, right? No, you're right. She probably thought it was the concept of it was, um, I mean, like, other than, like, The Godfather Part Two, I don't even know if that was out by then. Maybe. Yeah, I think so. You know, that was pretty much the beginning of the big sequels, like, as as far as, like, a mainstay, right? And that was, like, and then Star Wars and Indiana Jones, things like that. Those were the sequels, right? There was not many of those on the, I think there was pretty thin on the ground, if not almost completely non-existent. Especially for horror movies, I think, um, like by and largely, movies were one-offs, and if there were sequels, it was told in a story like sometimes decades later, right? Uh-huh. And so, yeah, I think we have we have The Exorcist to the Heretic to thank for horror sequels. Mayhaps I don't know. Yeah, at least temple ones, right? Rounding out the stacked cast is James Earl Jones. 
the voice of Darth Vader. Kokomo. Kokomo. <laughs> and Mustafa. <laughs> I cannot get over his name in this movie. I just uh, like died. Yeah, and we got Ned Beatty as uh, Edwards, Karen Knapp as the voice of Pazuzu, and Dane Plato as Sandra Fowler. I don't remember that character, and it says uncredited. Dana Plato, obviously, is from Different Strokes, right? Different Strokes. Yeah, the TV show? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we have two different, differing opinions. We both feel like this, this movie is kind of a dumpster fire, but we both have different appearances to, uh, opinions as to why. Yeah, so my problems with this movie really fall to like story and and ideas and things that are happening in the movie, right? And also script. I think the dialogue is just ridiculous. Some of it is, yeah. <clears throat> but I mean the idea of of Reagan's treatment like psychologically, right? In these really bizarre settings make no sense to me. The fact that they are trying to hypnotize her and then like mind meld, you know what I mean? Like it's completely unbelievable, right? And it's set in sort of a realistic setting to me, but <laughs> inside an exorcism movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, exorcisms are a thing, you know what I mean? There's like religious stuff behind it, and but there and there are ways to hypnotize people, but you cannot like sync your mind up enough to like be in a situation or try to save someone from their own mind. Like just everyone work has that their way. own sunken place. I mean. <laughs> And this is mine. But <laughs> I think the movie looks good to me. I think it's styled well. Like, I like the production values. Like, I even like, like the camera on top of a fucking, like, locust flying through Africa. No. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I was just really fucking stoned. Yeah, probably. Because, I mean, we just mentioned Star Wars, right? And the locust scene looks just horrible, <laughs> right? The miniatures look horrible horrible and yet star wars was made for less money i mean i know there was greater minds and you know as far as technical minds and and probably and things like that ilm had just been invented or was you know still a sparkle in the eye of of you know george lucas right and there wasn't a huge special effects industry maybe by this time like there is certainly not like there is today no you know and this is really before computer effects and everything and everyone was having to do like you know you know screen on screen and and things like that and I don't know, a lot of trickery and miniatures and things like that, but it just wasn't done well. This is not a director, I I don't think, who really knew how to do that yet and wasn't super interested in that, was really relying on his production partners. Personally, I think the story is there. The premise is there. I like that it kind of dot connects why the the demon has gone after these people from fucking Iraq to like Georgetown. You know what I mean? It kind of connects those dots for me. I kind of like the, you know, the background and the mystery and stuff like that. It's the execution that's fucked. The screenplay is a little bit fucked based on the story. There's parts of it that work. And then parts of the script work. Parts of it are horrible. Dumpster fire. And then uh, I like some of the production design. and But the the special effects, visual effects, um, and some of the production design is so stylized and just bad looking that it's almost unforg- unforgivable, as many of our reviewers said. But I feel like the story is there. It's just the execution is was piss poor. I mean, and I can see your points, you know, and I, I, I get it. You know, I think maybe in the moment I was just like enjoying that aspect of the movie a hell of a lot more than what was being said or what was being presented to me in yeah. a, a story fashion, right? And so I I don't know. I think we can agree that all of it's kind of bad. Well, and this kind of conversation is going to happen again over on Patreon because we're going to be discussing those prequels. And they were both based on the same story, same screenplays, right? By two different directors and two different casts. Just a year apart. Yeah. And so it's kind of it, – it's almost – 
unlike anything else, it's an opportunity to look at two different production teams, two different, you know, mind spaces going towards the same story and everything and how and how directing matters and things like that. Although both are piles of shit, yeah. one is less stinky than the other. That is true. I have not seen them since they were released. So I'm looking forward have, to that conversation. I would have loved it if one was good and one was bad based on the same story to really kind of show us that, you know, the production design decisions on the day matter. You know, um, design matters, technical ability to to pull things off matters. You know, I, I can't imagine like try and see like Borman trying to do like Alien or Aliens or something, you know, and not having a mind for this sort of thing. And it would have been a pile of shit and we wouldn't have Alien or Aliens or Star Wars or things like that if, if he had been behind these things. I think a lot of the conversation about sequels to The Exorcist or prequels for that matter need to sort of hinge on whether or not we need sequels or prequels to The Exorcist, right? We're going to talk about The Exorcist 3 next week and probably a longer deep dive. This is more of a shallow dive, right? Yeah. But, uh, like, I, I like that movie. Spoiler alert. You know? Exorcist like, 3? Yeah I, have, yeah. I have things to say about it. I think it's better than this one, for sure. But did we even need that? You know? I mean, like, I feel like The Exorcist itself is such a good movie, such a classic movie. And, I mean, it's just really part of pop culture and, like, filmmaking lexicon that it didn't need anything else added to it. All of... The only reason this movie was made is because it made money, right? Yeah, I think it was mostly, you know, the studio trying to capitalize, right? right. And I think that's what a lot of the actors and people that would have come back were recognizing. Uh, obviously, they didn't get any, you know, input from Blatty or Friedkin and, you know, and they just kind of went with it and did their own thing. And a lot of people kind of rejected you know, being a part of it versus Exorcist 3, there was a little bit more interest, I think, just because it was Blatty and his story and right. his, based on his, you know, although he tried to do a screenplay and Friedkin refused and then he turned it into a book and it was a bestseller and then he turned it back into a screenplay right. and then decided to do it himself after involving some other directors that eventually backed out. But anyway, that's a whole other deep dive. And for I'm super ready to talk about that. Yeah, I really want to talk about that movie. <laughs> I know a lot more than this one. I, I don't really know. I mean, do you think that and I haven't heard her talk about this, but do you do you really think that Ellen Bernstein has like separated herself from being in The Exorcist? Do you think she regrets that? It could be multiple things. Um, you know, she had, you know, really long term back damage from that. She probably didn't want to do a physical role like that again. She probably, you know, like I said, sequels were kind of thin on the ground and and some actors refuse outright to do sequels. Right. As a principle. And I get that. I, I really hope, though, that Ellen Bernstein looks back on her role in The Exorcist fondly, right? Because it was a star-making turn for her, and she's so good, not just physically, but emotionally, right? She's a really good actress in that movie, and I would hate to think that she regrets being in it. Maybe so. in retrospect, because even Linda Blair, like, right, she had to have protection for six months Yeah. after it. You know, who knows the, the death threats and letters and everything else and what it did for their immediate career in the next 10 years. And I get the PTSD right? of it all. You know, I, I don't I remember do, Ellen Bernstein again until the 90s. Well, I mean, she has a, a long film career. I was, maybe she's just not the, on the tip of everyone's tongue. No. Was it until that Oscar nom? You know, in the 90s. For the Requiem? Or like early 2000s. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so this movie, as bad as it is, to me, is still kind of fun. You know what I mean? Like, I had a really good time laughing at it this time. <laughs> I made lots of notes, right, which are funny to me, and I won't repeat to them. But like, some of the dialogue is just so good. It's, there's just one scene where Linda Blair is talking to a child in that. Or 
so bad it's good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, talking to a child in that, you know, psychiatrist area. And she's like, oh, what's the matter with you? And the child's like, well, I'm autistic. And then she tries to explain to Reagan what autism is. And the girl asks Reagan, what's wrong with you? And she's like, oh, I was possessed by a demon. But it's okay. He's gone now. <laughs> so I'm like, come on. Well, that's just such a – it's kind of almost reflective of the character because that's basically the best thing about this movie is Linda Blair's character. She's she's has a life on the screen. I'm kind of surprised she didn't like move on into bigger roles or other things. You know, and we've talked about this before, I think, in the last episode when we talked about The Exorcist, about Linda Blair. But she's probably the best thing about this movie, really. I completely agree with you. I think that she looks great in this movie. I think she's that charismatic. She's completely. magnetic. Yes. All those things. And she doesn't look 16 to me. You know what I mean? Like, she looks a lot older. Yeah. I kind of wish they would have made her a little bit older, like college age or something like that, and really, like, had her by herself. I don't think we need Sharon's character in this movie, really. She has some, she has some things to do, but... Yeah. I mean, I think Linda Blair was good. I think Louise Fletcher is good in this movie as well. But um, I mean, she's she's just being Louise Fletcher. But I don't know. Like, she's so cardboard in the first half of the movie. I think she starts getting, you know, a little bit more excited about the role maybe in the second half. Maybe that's just the way she talks. It's the way she looks, too. She looks like cardboard. I mean, like, oh she's, she's so straight-faced in everything she does. Have you seen Flowers in the Attic, right? You know that? who I really <laughs> wish had played that role? Hmm. Huh? The older lady from Poltergeist. Dr. Lesh. Oh, Dr. Lesh. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that would have been much better. Yes. Oh, my God. I can see it in my head right now. <laughs> but Richard Burton, though, like, I'm sure he's rolling over in his grave right now. Listen to us talk about this. But he's giving us his best Dr. Loomis through a lot of it, right? Like, evil or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And that's how, the, yeah. So... Okay. Evil has gone for this place. <laughs> well, thank God. <laughs> I do want to talk about some of the production design a little bit. I know we touched on it a little bit, but that office. Oh, my God. The office, like, it's worth watching the movie just to see that, like, that therapy mm-hmm. office or whatever the fuck that was supposed to be. All the glass. It was like a honeycomb, right? Yeah. So it's honeycomb. Everything was kind of like octagonal or hexagonal or something. And all of it's glass and everyone, all the therapists are in either group sessions or single sessions inside those little offices where you can see everyone. And it was kind of, it took me out of the movie every time that they were in there, but it was still kind of cool. I kind of want to like, it's almost like a hall of mirrors in a way. Yeah. And I like, I I almost want to like, I wish they had kept that set or something so we could like explore it. And I, I wish that really existed somewhere. I need to like look it up to see if it's actually a thing or if it was all set. That would be the best Airbnb. Because that was a, a large set. Like you, you rent out a little apartment, but you can see everyone else's, but somehow like black out the, the glass or whatever, even though they weren't. Yeah. No, she like, yeah, she blacks out the glass or whatever to, to make it more private. But what she's actually doing, and you can tell, is dimming the lights everywhere else in the building. <laughs> Because you can see the shadows lengthening, you know, from people. And so she just puts plunges everyone else in the darkness to where she's actually center stage and not private at all. So it was just really jarring to me. I'm like, dude, it's like, look what you're doing. Like, look at the fucking dailies. I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's not working. Well, if he's cutting the movie again after it's in theaters, right? And it's just not working out even then. Like, God knows how many edits they made to this movie. I don't know. So I had texted my cousin when I was watching this because she's a social worker who works more in like therapy. Right. And I was like, how do you feel about uh, 
having a therapy session in like all glass where everyone can see inside. And she's like, there's no way in the world that the patient would respond to anything like that. And no. I'm like, I agree. So, I mean, it's completely unbelievable from that standpoint. I was, yeah, I was talking with Matt about that. I was like, he's like, I don't know how I feel about all these people with like special needs and disabilities, like being kind of on parade here yeah. versus, and it, it was done fairly empathetically, I thought. So I'm kind of on the fence too, but I was like, maybe it makes them feel more safe. Maybe, you know, when they can see outside, they can see other people getting therapy. They can't hear anything, but, you know. Well, and it really, the, the entire environment seemed to be about those kids with special needs and not really about someone going through therapy. Like Reagan seemed to hear everything. Because I remember they shut the door and you could hear all the, like the, the audience and the, you know, not audience, but everyone else in the building. You could still hear this like light. Because it's just glass. <laughs> <laughs> hubbub. <laughs> you could hear all the hubbub. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, I would love to go explore and stay in a place like that. But for the, for the purposes that they were using that set for in the movie, it doesn't really work. I do have to say that uh, Skyscraper Apartment or whatever that she was on with, like, the Dove Barn or whatever. On Outside. The, yeah, where she could just jump off if she wanted to because there's no railing or there's gaps in the railing or whatever. That does – that might make an appearance on a top 10 real estate or whatever. We've got to do that episode because <laughs> I completely agree with you. Another really good Airbnb. We should look and see if these things still exist or at least that apartment. If they have it, we're going to stay in it. Hell yeah. So – out of five stars, what would you rate The Exorcist 2? I gave it a two. I gave it two and a half. Because I felt like it had some merit. I agree. I don't think it's completely a pile of... It's a, it's a pile of shit, but it's not like on fire. Right. It's not a flaming pile of shit? Yeah. Yeah. And I had a really good time watching it. Like, I was actively enjoying myself watching the movie. And, I mean, that... It's worth at least like half a star to me. So Yeah, after seeing that trailer with all the yeah, 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 <laughs> I thought it was just going to be completely batshit. And I was actually kind of pleasantly surprised that it was kind of still fairly linear and yeah. able to understand and everything. But still, I don't I don't feel any compunction to go back and watch this. I'll probably be watching it again for quite some time. Although I would still recommend people go see it if you have not. Like, yeah, be a completionist. Yeah, sure. Go watch it. Yeah, it's okay. It's not going to traumatize you in any way, shape, or form unless no, you're, you know, well, maybe it will. There's no trauma <laughs> involved for the viewer. Lost. The trauma of lost time. Maybe. You might be a little pissed you didn't get that, like, two hours back or whatever. But it's okay. It's Kokomo. You get there fast and then take it slow. I like to do like a steel drum band. <laughs> you're better off going to Key Largo or Montego. Who want to take you? Down to Kokomo? <laughs> All right, guys, I think that about wraps up our shallow dive into Exorcist 2. <laughs> Have you seen it? Have you ever seen it? Let us know what you thought of it by reaching out to us at the Film Flamers on social media. Or you can email us at tiredqueens at filmflamers.com or call our hotline at 972-666-7777. We'll take you to Kokomo. We'll get there fast. And then we'll take it slow. No, we're going to take it fast. (laughs) Because we have to get that movie over with. (laughs) In fact, just fast forward. (laughs) Like we said earlier, we have another episode coming out for you next week. Um, More from the Exorcist franchise where we talk about Exorcist 3. Yeah, and watch out for this one. Although it's not a perfect film or even really a, a good or great one. It does have probably the scariest jump scare in any horror movie ever. And a lot of really excellent monologues. 
or just a lot of monologues. <laughs> All right, Chris. Well, after that conversation, I think I need to go off and uh, fly on the wings of evil and have some sweet dreams. Pazuzu! <laughs> Lord of evil in the air! Whatever. Call me by my dream name. <laughs> I forgot! Montero 2. <laughs> Kazoo? <laughs> Kazuzu? Oh my god. It'd be funny every time the demon's near you hear a kazoo. <laughs> <laughs>